Well, good morning. It's really good to be with you, Fellowship family. And uh, how many of you thought you were coming to the 11 o'clock service this morning? (laughs) Well, I enjoyed an extra hour of sleep. And uh, I'm alert and I'm aware and ready to get into God's Word with you. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 1. And it's the second book in your Bible if you're relatively new to the Scriptures. And if you don't have a Bible, go in the back. There's some uh, little tables back there. We want you to see that. Uh, and have the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, keep it. It's our gift to you. But if you do, leave it so someone else can get one. But uh, Exodus chapter 1. And, uh, you know, most of the Bible is a story. It's a story about God's plan of redemption. And we're going to be talking about that word and that, and that act and that plan today. And if you take a look at the last verse of uh, Genesis chapter 50 to the first verse of Exodus chapter 1, you're going to find that there was 400 years in between Genesis, the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. We end up in Egypt in Genesis, and it started uh, way back in creation in the book of, of Genesis. But in Exodus, it also starts in the country of Egypt. It was where uh, Joseph was sold into slavery. It's where he provided a blessing because of his God who he loved and he served. And it's where Jacob took his 70 descendants in all and settled in Egypt. And over 400 years, 70 people turned into about 2 million people. That's what happens when God is blessing your family. And this ought to be a lesson to us. Think about legacy. How many people will be affected by your decisions today that will stem from you if the Lord would wait 400 years? Think about how many people were affected by Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and their faith. Two million people are still in a land. Now, two million people and the growth of a people was quite intimidating to Egypt and its rulers. Pharaoh was intimidated by it. He feared man more than he feared God. So he started enslaving them and limiting, trying to limiting through various methods, their growth. And God saw their crying as they were enslaved. And he heard their cries to him. And God called Moses, if you flip over to Exodus chapter 3, he called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he was enlisting Moses to be part of a much greater plan and story than Moses could ever develop on his own. It was God's story of redemption. And God spoke, and he saw their suffering, and he heard their crying to him, and he was about to act to rescue and restore them from the hand of the Egyptians. We hear it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. When the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses gave God a little bit of pushback, like I'm not eloquent in speech. 
uh, I don't know that you really chose the right person. And God said, well, I placed Aaron, who's pretty good at speaking, in your life to help you lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now go. And so he went and he appeared before Pharaoh and he said, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, absolutely not. And since you asked, I'm making life even worse for you. And he enslaved them all the more, took out straw from their brick making skills as he built, built two mega cities in Egypt at that time. And, and Moses can't, comes again to God saying, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Are you sure I'm the right person? And in Exodus chapter six, verse five, God again affirms it. He says, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I remembered my covenant say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And so Pharaoh again resists. And God then brought a total of 10 plagues to the land of Egypt and all its inhabitants. And with each one, they progressed in severity and even in the supernatural demonstration of the power of God. And yet with each one, Pharaoh's heart grew harder and harder against God and against the children of Israel. We come now to Exodus chapter 12. And Exodus 12 gives us the narration of the final plague that would result in the death of every firstborn man and animal in Egypt. God told Moses to have all the Israelites take a sacrifice of a lamb and sprinkle the blood of that lamb over the doorposts of their homes. And that final night in Egypt, the Lord would literally pass over their homes and not strike the firstborn in the home with death. We come on to that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. God says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And this blood, the blood that they put on their doorpost, it says, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you or destroy to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, that sign of blood would be a sign of redemption, of God passing over uh, the execution of judgment and giving them grace. You see, God's work of redemption is really what most of your Bible is all about. Let me show you real quickly. If you have your Bibles, just hold it in your hand like this and turn to Genesis chapter one and two. It's it's just the first part of your Bible. And Genesis 1 and 2, as we look at the major events in human history, reveal the creation. We've talked about God creates and, and how he's created each and every one of us. Out of nothing, he created something. He spoke and at his word, nothing obeyed him to become something. 
Genesis 1 and 2, just two chapters of the Bible, talk about creation. And then Genesis 3, something happens. Satan tempts man and woman, whom God created and placed in paradise. God placed one tree among millions of trees, of which they could not eat. They could eat out of a million, but one tree. Why did God do that? Because God wants us to willingly choose him. He didn't create us as robots. He gave us, he gave us uh, a will. And every time you act out of your will to worship God, uh, God is pleased. And the relationship is a willing relationship of worship. Instead of choosing to worship God, Adam and Eve walked away. They took the alternative to God's plan and they went their own way. And as a result of it, it's interesting. Genesis chapter 2 ends with... And the man and the woman were both naked and they felt no shame. And the first thing that happens after they ate out of that forbidden fruit is that immediately they saw their nakedness and they experienced shame and guilt and they made coverings for themselves. What did God do? Well, God showed them, well, this is what life without me will look like. And there were curses placed on them. And they were taken out of the Garden of Paradise, the Garden of Eden, where they were placed. But in Genesis chapter 3, it's fascinating. God clothed them with animal skins. What was he showing us? He was showing us redemption there. He was showing them redemption because it would cost for them to be covered. It would cost the death of an animal to cover them. God has been doing that ever since. And if you take Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation chapter 20, the Bible is going to speak to you about redemption, about God's wonderful plan to come back and to rescue and restore his people who were stolen by Satan and broken by sin. Folks, most of your Bible is about redemption. You right now are in God's plan of redemption. This is a time of redemption. And the last two chapters of the Bible and the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, have to do with restoration, where God will fully and finally judge all wrong and all evil. Satan himself will be placed into the lake of fire to be tormented forever, and righteousness and goodness will reign on earth as it is in heaven forever. And ever. This is what the Bible teaches. So redemption is the major storyline right now for us. You are in God's story of redemption. Let me just give you a definition so you can write it down. Redemption is the wonderful work of God to win back what was stolen by Satan and restore what is broken by sin. I want to look at these three uh, phrases as we've read in the book of Exodus to just kind of bring them out a little bit more. Redemption is a wonderful work of God. It's not your work. It's not my work. Over and over again in the, re- in the passages we just read this morning, we heard, I am the Lord. I have seen. I have heard the crying and the suffering. I have remembered my covenant and I will rescue you and I will redeem you and I will take you out of Egypt and I will place you into the land that I promised to give you. It's all God's work. And therefore, we can't take credit for it any more than the Israelites could take credit for their rescue out of Egypt. We have seen that God's work is loving 
It's loving. It's it's a work where God is loving and he's paying attention to us. There is great comfort in these passages in Exodus. Some of you have lost loved ones recently. Some of you have lost jobs. You've lost a relationship and you're going through intense times of mourning and grief. Do you realize God sees and God hears your crying and your suffering? God is not distant. He's not forgetful. He's not distracted someplace in the rest of the world that may seem more important to you. No, he sees his people. Secondly, it's a righteous plan. God said to Moses with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, I will redeem you out of this land. See, God's righteousness means that we're all accountable to him. That all of us stand accountable to his holiness. And it's his outstretched arm that will judge and make wrongs right. Thirdly, it's a faithful work. Where God says to Moses, I have remembered my covenant. And then he traces it back, all the way back to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to us. See what God does? He never, ever forgets. We can forget about our vows made to him. We can be distracted by life. God never forgets because he's faithful. All the way back in Genesis 12, he promised Abraham that he would bless him and make a great nation out of him. And here in Egypt, while the nation was blessed and while there's about two million people, God says, now I still remember my covenant. And it's to take you out of enslavement and move you into freedom in the promised land. It's also a costly work. Because as the Lord passed over the homes of the Israelites, it required the death of a lamb. Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, was a costly sacrifice for us. We must have Jesus do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. Jesus lived a perfect life, which some of us are better than others, but we're all far from perfect. So we need a perfect sacrifice to stand before a righteous God. Jesus was that costly, that costly redeemer for his people. It's also an enduring, it's an enduring work. And just as this faithful God remembered it, He remembered the one that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you want to look at family dysfunction, look at those families. You know, selling a birthright, selling his wife to an Egyptian leader because he was afraid he was going to die. I mean, we get, do I trust God or do I not? And it, it gives all of us who have come from a dysfunctional family hope that this is the work of God for us. It's an enduring work. It gives all of us who are far from perfect to mess up and did not have a good week this week. That it's all the work of God enduring in us. God never gives up on us. And then it's very personal. The language in Exodus talks of what God uses is that I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. These are family words. They aren't just friends. You'll dwell with me in the land that I will give you. They're very, very personal. And that's why redemption also has to be something we accept personally. 
I can't redeem you. (laughs) Only Christ can. But you have to personally come to the point where you accept God's plan of redemption for you. So it's not just the wonderful work of God. It's a work that also wins back what was stolen by Satan. You see, we were once God, God's um, possession. We were once his in that garden, but we walked away. And we were seduced by an alternative plan of Satan that was filled with lies and deception. You know, from time to time, we still buy into the lies and deception of Satan. And whether or not any of us or any of the world right now believe or are aware of the power of Satan, the scriptures are very clear and they reveal a very active and real Satan in this world today. Look at what Exodus 6 says that God would do. He said, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. This is a precursor almost. It's a little whisper of what God's going to ultimately do to Satan. And the force that enslaved Israel at the time was one that was against God, that was hardened to him. Pharaoh was hardened to him. And God said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to win you back. I'm the Lord and I'm going to take you out from under their burdens. And the, the one and the power over you, will I will crush him with an outstretched arm. He's showing us of what ultimately God will do with Satan in the future. See, Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says that God will ultimately punish and destroy Satan forever in the lake of fire where he will be tormented forever and ever. You see, God will win. He will win us back, which he's doing right now, and he will ultimately win over Satan. He owes nothing to Satan. He doesn't pay Satan for ransoming us. No, he judges Satan. God owes nothing to Satan. He is at work right now, winning back what was stolen by Satan. And that's why every one of us needs to be in the work of redemption. Of God winning back people who were stolen. You see, the book of Genesis creates a very high view of God and a very high view of humanity. We are crafted and created in the image of God. We reflect our creator. Although Satan has come and defaced what God has created, he has not erased the image of God. We are still the possession of God. We've been stolen. You don't own what you've stolen. The rightful owner is wanting to win back his people. This is the story of redemption. But it's also not only to win back what was stolen, but also to restore what is broken by sin. What is broken by sin. Look at verse 7 through um, 9 in, in Exodus 6. It says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Do you see this? See God's work of restoration in his people? I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. I will bring you out. I will bring you into the land of I swore to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you know, just like redemption 
kind of is a whisper in Exodus of the shout that will happen in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, this is what it will be said of God when he restores all things. And listen to the similar language that's used. It says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with his man. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and he himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is a God winning back his people and restoring them and healing them and mending brokenness and ultimately restoring them to full health, full life for eternity, forever and ever. To the Israelites in Egypt, they had the sign of the blood of the Lamb. To Fellowship Bible Church, on November 3rd, 2013, we have the blood of Jesus that is a sign to us that our God did everything that's necessary to win us back and is now at his work of restoring us, restoring what's broken by sin. See, that's why Paul would say about Jesus in Galatians chapter 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Even more specifically, he writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, that Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, the reality for us today is that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. Even in the future restoration, Jesus will be the answer of full and final judgment for sin. He's in that mix. He's in that mix now and will be forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan for, of redemption. We don't need other sacrifices. We don't need more works. We don't need more check boxes in our Sunday morning attendance. We don't need more giving. We don't need anything. When we have Jesus, we have everything. He's that plan. So it forces us all to a response. Before I ask you for a response, let me just tell you and, and kind of reveal what was the response of the Israel, Israelites in slavery in Egypt. You see, at first, they didn't want to be rescued. They feared what God had for them more than they feared the enslavement that they had from Egypt. And that's why after God said this in Exodus chapter 6, their response in verse 9 was, they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And God could have, sometimes we wonder, why didn't he? He could have just said, okay, you don't want, you don't want redemption? I'm out. Bye-bye. And they could have said, fine, we're better off here. But God is faithful. And God is committed to his people. And God is enduring in his love. And he literally rescued them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And as Pharaoh and his army was crushed in the Red Sea, 
They stood over on the banks after on the other side as they saw this happen. And Exodus 14 shows this. And look at what it says in verse 31. He says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptian, Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. See, that's the picture we get in redemption. When you see and you trust the work of God in your life of redemption, you do two things. You fear him more than you fear anything else in this world, but you understand he is a good person to fear. You fear what you could be without him and what your life would be without him. And you no longer fear yourself. You no longer fear your circumstances. You no longer fear what others can do to you. What's our response to Jesus? The fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. Well, Paul was making a case for what his life is all about with Jesus in in Acts chapter 26. And he says that I am serving Christ. My ministry is to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. And that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you see God's work of redemption right here? Darkness to light. Power of Satan to God. Unforgiven. Full forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ. What's your response? Well just like the Israelites in Egypt... Those who are caught and trapped and enslaved away from God and in sin. We all have to make a personal decision. First of all, to trust God's plan. That means we literally trust in the work of Jesus. We stop trying to perform so that our... And and many religions are, are based on this. How are my good deeds? If my good deeds are better than my bad deeds, God owes it to me. And God owes you nothing. Because some of you can have better deeds than others, but we all fall short of the glory of God. We have to have Jesus. There, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That was a, an exclusive claim. But he also did a very inclusive call. And that is this. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Very inclusive. Here it is. Whoever. Whoever can experience God's plan of redemption, but you must trust it. I can't make you trust it. I don't bear responsibility for you trusting it or not. I simply can offer it. And if you can see it and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the truth of God's plan of redemption, you can trust it today. It involves trusting Christ. It also involves returning to God through Christ. Uh, The biblical word for this is repentance. It means you turn away from sin and in order to trust God's way for you. God will never... Here's the thing that we we can learn from this, this this passage in Exodus of God's redemption. God would never call the, the Israelites out of Egypt if he didn't have something better for them. Trust me. He would have never done it if he... And throughout biblical history... And personal experience in my own life. 
God has never called me away from something in my life that he didn't have something better for me. That is, I've known Christ since I was four years old and I've been trying to follow him ever since. And that is a solid fact in me. When God calls you towards something, he, he has to call you away from something. But what he has for you is always better. You can trust him on that. If you're in a relationship that's destructive, that's dysfunctional, that doesn't fear the Lord, that's more about pleasure and comfort than it is about true committed love, get out. God has far better for you in a faithful relationship than you could ever experience in an unfaithful one. Some, some of us deal with addictions or, or attractions that just are destroying us and hitting the people around us. And folks, God has something far better. And uh, like the Egyptians, your broken spirit and the harsh treatment of your life keep you distant and disobedient. And we've got to come to a place where we go, no, God wants to redeem this in my life. And I'm willing to trust him. I will trust him. Return, return. And then finally, we're part of God's rest, restoring work uh, of being light in darkness, which is why Jesus would say in the book of Matthew, he'd say, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. Jesus says, said that because he calls us light in darkness to shine the light of Jesus. We show pictures of redemption every day by how we relate and react and respond to the world around us. You are agents. You're an ambassador from God. To be a part of redemption. I see pictures of redemption all the time. One that was particularly interesting. Happened this week. In Buffalo, New York. By a bus driver named Darnell Barton. Take a look at this video. As he calls a woman to step. Or actually saves a woman from jumping off a bridge. Take a look at this. It's about a minute. Ma'am, are you okay? It didn't seem real because of what was going on around. You know, the traffic was going as normal. You know, pedestrians going by as normal. Ma'am, are you okay? She was, she was distraught. She was distant. She was really disconnected. I grabbed her and um, I grabbed her arm and I put my arm around her and I said, do you, do you want to come on this side of the guardrail? And um, that was actually the first time she actually spoke to me. She said, yes, it was meant to be. I, I was supposed to be there uh, for her at that moment. And, and I was. I wanted to convey that, you know, whatever it was, I'm going to, we're going to help you through whatever it is. And it's not as serious as jumping onto the 198. I felt like I did what I was supposed to do at the time. I, you know. I'm a, I'm a football guy, so, you know, when you sit on the bench and a coach calls your number, you got to go in there and make a play, and you got to do what, what, what the play calls for, and I think that's what I did. Traffic is normal. Pedestrians is normal. Something was about to happen that would have destroyed life. And a bus driver stops... He calls her off. He goes down there and he sits her down and they have that conversation. You see, that's redemption. Jesus 
God in the flesh came to this world to talk to talk us to come on the other side of the railing. That's redemption. And as those who have been redeemed, Psalm 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. May the redeemed of the Lord be agents of redemption in this world. What is God going to do? What is your coach going to call you into today? I don't know, but let's let it be about God's continuing plan of redemption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Show us um, your faithful plan of redemption to the Israelites, moving them out of Egypt and into your land. And Jesus Christ, moving us out of darkness and sin into a life of freedom in Christ. We praise you for that. We thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.